The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back, Buffalo Bills fans. It's Matt Warren, editor-in-chief at buffalorumlings.com. The Bills lost to the Browns this weekend, and a lot of Bills fans are kind of up in arms right now because pretty much every flaw that they had with the Buffalo Bills, whether it's offense or defense or special teams, was exposed on Sunday against Cleveland. So we got lots of questions in here about what's wrong with the team, uh, how we can move forward from here. And uh, despite all that, the Bills are in fifth place in the AFC, so they're in a pretty good position to make the postseason. As we move forward, please remember you can call in your questions at 716-508-0405. You can tweet us at Rumlings Q and A. That's with the word and spelled out in the middle. You can always Facebook message us. You can Instagram message us. You can send us emails at buffalorumblings at sbnation.com. There's lots of ways to get in touch with the show. Uh, share your comments in the comment section at buffalorumblings.com, especially on our show notes page. There's lots of places to share your questions with us. With that, let's get going. My five takeaways from the game against the Cleveland Browns turned into six because after I wrote my five right after the game, as Sunday night wore into Monday, I just couldn't stop myself from writing another opinion piece on Monday morning. So you should check out both of those at buffalorumblings.com. The first takeaway was the run defense is continuing to struggle. They gave up 12.8 yards per carry on the first two drives to Cleveland. Nick Chubb had 84 yards on his first 13 carries. Whether it's gap integrity, uh, missed tackles, there's just all these execution elements that aren't working in the Bills' run defense. And the scheme works. We've seen the scheme work. But when you know Trey Edmonds gets into a lane and misses a tackle, there's nobody behind him to pick up the slack because that's what it's designed for. It's designed to be, you know, you're in the hole, you make the tackle. So that was disappointing to see again. They were able to corral it late in the game again, but it just they were getting gashed early on. Uh, it's hard to blame the defense, though, after they allowed, you know, whatever it was fewer than 20 points again uh so they're they're doing okay uh there's just a little bit of stuff to clean up um on defense the goal line defense was sensational for instance that was awesome the 
The Browns had eight straight plays on the goal line, and the Bills didn't let them score. Now, there were a couple penalties thrown in there because Bills players got beat and just tackled the receiver, so they didn't allow a touchdown. But the Bills eventually stopped the Browns with no flags and were able to uh, keep the Browns from scoring on an eight-play goal line stand. Instead of it being 14 nothing, the Bills had allowed a field goal on the first drive for Cleveland on a goal, another goal line stand as well. So the, the Bills are doing a great job at their goal line defense when they can get their safeties involved a little bit further closer to the line of scrimmage. For John Brown, it was his ninth straight 50-yard game. He's been really great, and he's been the guy that uh, Josh Allen keeps looking for on third and long. So if it's third and 12... Brown's the guy that's going to be the one catching it for 15 yards. And that's why I wasn't surprised to see Allen go for him at the end of the game on that last third down play because he just has such a great rapport with John Brown. Um, Allen's been inconsistent, but Brown has been there over and over again. Uh, Tredavious White gets a shout-out for me in our five takeaways piece as well because he was able to shut down Odell Beckham Jr. really, really well. Uh, OBJ had five catches for 57 yards, but some, most of that was with Trey White not covering him. White was able to shut him down, keep him off the uh, off the, the, off the the scoreboard, excuse me, uh, when Odell Beckham Jr. went up and came down with it in the end zone, but Trey White was able to go right for the hands and knock the ball away as OBJ was coming down to the ground. So... Great play there by Trey White and in general, and I'm sure he's pretty happy with LSU this weekend winning as well. Oh, yeah, you should go vote for him for the Pro Bowl. Go to ProBowl.com or ProBowl.org or whatever it is and go vote for Trey White. And then the last takeaway I had from the game was it shouldn't have been that close, and both teams can actually say that. If the Browns score on their first two goal line possessions, they're up 14-0 and game's pretty much over. If the Bills score late and uh, get a couple touchdowns when they had like a third and short so uh, to convert, they, they could have put the game away too. So both teams left points on the table for sure. My sixth observation was about how the Bills passed way too much against the Cleveland Browns, and that was the standalone piece I wrote on Monday morning. You know, Josh Allen threw the ball, I think, 41 times and had a couple other scrambles that were passes. So that means they called pass 43, 44, 45 times in that game. And Devin Singletary got eight carries on the ground. And Brian Dable on Monday said that the Browns were stacking the box. They were putting eight men in the box and trying to stop the Bills' run game. Well, if they do that, your passing game has to be better than what it was. Josh Allen should be thrown for 300 yards, 350 yards against an eight-man box if, you know, he's a, a top-ten quarterback, if he's, you know, that quarterback of the future. He's in his second season as the starter. You know, there's no more excuses anymore. You have to be able to open up the offense better. And – I mean, Singletary was doing well against even eight-man boxes because all you have to do is make one guy miss, and then there's nobody behind him anymore. So you know, if Singletary, who loves making guys miss in a phone booth, can make one guy miss, then he's off to the races. I just don't understand why they went away from the run so hard against the Cleveland Browns. And it's something we're going to be watching going forward. Lots of people calling for Brian Dable's head at the end of that game. All right, let's get to your questions. The 
question I'm getting a lot this week is what does the loss to the Cleveland Browns do for the Buffalo Bills playoff chances? The short answer is, I mean, it, it's going to hurt them a little bit that the Browns were a winnable game on Buffalo's schedule. And now Buffalo is only one game clear of the sixth place and seventh place teams and eighth place teams in the AFC wildcard hunt. So with games coming up against uh, Dallas, Baltimore, and New England, it's going to be tricky for Buffalo to really put away a playoff berth before week 17. And so it just made it harder for the Bills to to make a run. They're going to have to win against Denver in a couple weeks. Uh, of course, they're going to have to beat Miami this week. If they can get to 8-3 and three after beating Miami and beating Denver and go into Thanksgiving at 8-3, and three, a lot of Bills fans will be a lot happier. Uh, but that Pittsburgh game is really what's looming if – if the Steelers can keep their run going and kind of stick neck and neck with the Bills, that game's going to be a huge, huge game for tiebreakers. And if Pittsburgh beats Buffalo, and Buffalo is now on a three-game losing streak having lost to Dallas, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh, they'll be 8-6 and six with two games left. And, oh yeah, they have to go to New England the next week. So, I mean, that could be really, really bad for the team's psyche. So that Pittsburgh game is looming for sure, but the Bills just really have to take care of business the next two weeks at Miami and versus Denver, and they'll be okay. Their playoff odds are north of 50%. They've got a one-game lead in the wild card. Other teams around them are also losing, so that helps, but that the Pittsburgh Steelers are not losing, and the Raiders have an easy schedule coming down the pike, and they're not going anywhere. All right, let's get to your questions. Let's go to phones at 716-508-0405. My question was, this is Sharon Brandy, and I asked, why would the Bills choose to settle on a field goal to tie the game instead of, with plenty of time, go down, score a touchdown, and win the game. They're on the road. You try to win. You don't try to tie. McDermott is just way too conservative. So that is my question. Why are we so damn conservative and just trying to tie the game all the time? That's how we play it. Sharon, I couldn't agree with you more. Let's go back and look at the game book. The Bills got the ball back with a minute 44 left at their own 25-yard line. And after that, it was incomplete pass, which was a thankful incomplete pass. A pass to Devin Singletary, who was pushed out of bounds after two yards. And then a pass to John Brown for 21 yards. That gets them right near midfield. Um, on the next play, he hits Isaiah McKenzie for 10 yards. And now we're at the Cleveland 41 with a minute five left on the clock. An incomplete pass brings up second down and 10 with 59 seconds left on the clock. And the, they have a short pass for six yards. This is when the whole will they or won't they kind of huddle up thing happens. And... On Monday, Brian Dable said that they wanted to make sure that they got the play right. It was a big third down. And so they huddled up to try and get a play in that was actually going to work on third and four. Uh, they were able to um, 
make a slight adjustment at the line. That's when he throws to John Brown and it goes out of bounds. Uh, they ended up calling their third timeout and right before kicking the field goal. So it, once they huddle up and I, I get both sides of this, I get wanting to get the play right, but once they huddle up, their only option is to kick the field goal, I think, unless you're taking a shot at the end zone on that one play. Um, huddling up is the worst thing that they could have done at that moment in time with whatever it was. Uh, 59 seconds left on the clock. Singletary didn't get out of bounds, and the clock was running. They should have had two plays in the playbook for if a guy gets caught in bounds. There's no excuse for it. Um, on, on second down, the clock is stopped. They can line up, call two plays in the huddle, or sorry, they can huddle up, call two plays. This is what happens if we get stopped short inbounds. It's a seven-yard play, an eight-yard play, something that's designed to go, you know, eight, ten yards. And then they pick up the first down. Then you can call a timeout or clock it and have a couple shots at the end zone to go for the, the touchdown. You're exactly right, Sharon, in questioning the Bills for this. So I was upset about it as well. It's unacceptable that they didn't have a second play called on second down and 10 for if one of the guys got caught inbounds. They should have had another play. Then you get the first down, you can clock it or take a timeout, whatever. You have 50 seconds left, uh, 45 seconds left, 44 seconds left, and it's first or second down and you're at the 30-yard line, something like that. You can at least take a couple shots to the end zone or to the sideline. And even if a guy gets stopped in bounds, you can clock it. And it's a much, much closer field goal. It just doesn't make sense. Um, situational football hasn't been great for Sean McDermott. And this is another example of it. Thanks for your question. 716-508-0405. We'll be right back after this quick break. Twitter, where Charlie Britton asks us at Rumlings Q&A, do McDermott and his staff keep their jobs if the team collapses and doesn't make the playoffs? Yeah, I think they do. I don't think anyone had these weird lofty expectations that they were going to be some sort of, of great team heading into the season. Now, if for some reason he loses the locker room or, you know, something, I don't know. I, I wouldn't even know what would have to happen in order for Sean McDermott and Brandon B to get fired at the end of the season. Uh, they go winless the rest of the way and finish 6-10. and 10. I, I, That would be a pretty remarkable uh, collapse after their start. So, I... I mean, there are possibilities where it could happen. I just don't see any of them as being realistic. I think the Bills are going to beat Miami this weekend. Uh, even if they lose to Miami this weekend, they're going to beat Denver the week after. Like, they're going to win a game or two coming down the stretch uh, to get to 7-9 and nine or 8-8. Eight and, eight and eight. So I just I, I don't see any possibility of them you know, completely losing their jobs and losing the locker room over the course of the last two months of the season. They just have too many veterans on the team that have been there, too many guys that uh, are just – are locker room guys that can rally this team. I, I just do not see that as a possibility. Now, next year, that's a different story. Thanks for your question at Rumlings Q&A on Twitter. The 
The Critical Chef on Twitter asks us, can we agree that we need a major upgrade over Levi Wallace? Uh, Baker and Jarvis had their way with him over and over on Sunday. Jarvis Landry is a very talented NFL player. And the play that people keep talking about the most, well, the two plays that Landry beat Wallace was the first touchdown, which Wallace was in pretty good position. He was between Mayfield and Landry. Um, He had his arm up between Landry's arms and just didn't get the ball out as Landry was coming down with it in the end zone. So I thought he was in very good position. And his, you know, if his hand moves an inch or two, uh, he can knock the ball out. Kind of like Trey White did against Odell Beckham Jr. uh, later in the game on that touchdown pass that Trey White broke up. So... I mean, that just kind of shows you the difference between Levi Wallace, an undrafted wide receiver, or sorry, an undrafted cornerback, and um, and Tredavious White, a first-round cornerback. So, I mean, I think Levi Wallace was in great position. That's all you can ask of him. I, I, Landry gets paid to make plays, too. Uh, the second play was the one along the, the sideline at the bottom of the screen where Landry uh, had a comeback route. And it's pretty clear by the film that Wallace had – was supposed to be over the top, and he had underneath help. Uh, you can see in the in the frame, uh, even on the TV replay, that the underneath uh, player, the underneath defender, is right there when Landry goes out of bounds. So Wallace's job there is to make sure that Landry doesn't beat him over the top. So he was over the top of it, and then Landry ran a comeback route to the sideline. It was perfect route, perfect ball placement from Baker Mayfield. I don't really have a problem with that one either. Uh, so I think Wallace is certainly acceptable as your second cornerback. Um, if the Bills were able to get a little bit better pass rush and if the Bills were able to stop the run defense, I mean, Landry is a very, very talented player. He's a pro bowler for a reason. And it's not just because he's a jerk and gets penalties. It's because he's very, very talented. So I really didn't have a problem with the way Levi Wallace played on Sunday. Uh, maybe somebody else who watches a lot more game tape than I do uh, has a problem with him, and then I'll at least listen to it. But until then, I'm okay with it. Thanks for your question. At Rumlings Q&A. <laughs> Next up, we have Mogo, who asks us, is Tyler Croft on the team? Now he is healthy, but not being used. Yeah, uh, they've been using Dawson Knox a ton. Uh, Tyler Croft has been playing second fiddle, as Knox has, of course, been around since the end of training camp. Uh, He was injured during training camp as well uh, with a hamstring injury, but Knox has been getting the lion's share of the snaps. Uh, Croft has been playing. I bet you didn't know he played 30 snaps against the Cleveland Browns, 43% of Buffalo's plays on offense. That's a lot. But he wasn't targeted and uh, didn't get any didn't get any catches, obviously, so you don't really know that he's on the team. In contrast, Dawson Knox got 40 snaps, which was 58% of Buffalo's snaps against Cleveland. So a lot of snaps for Dawson Knox, 10 fewer snaps for Tyler Croft, but Knox was targeted a bunch more, so you saw him more in the stats and, of course, when he would drop a pass. Thanks for your question. At Rumlings Q&A. Tom Pickles asks us, is it time for a new kicker? Steven Hauschka has made eight field goals and 13 attempts. 
he's not been good. 61.5% is not good enough in the NFL. And it's not just on long kicks. He is 0 for 3, over 50 yards. But he has actually been pretty good from 40 to 49. He's 6 of 7, and now he's 2 from two of three from inside 40. Um, but even his extra point, he's 18 of 19. So, I mean, he's just been kind of all over the place. And if you can't make a field goal over 50 yards, not one of them was a 62 yarder or something like that. So if you want to take that off because it was kind of a shot in the dark, you can take it off, but he's still subpar. Even if he makes his next five, six, seven, eight, nine kicks in a row, he's still going to be under 80%, 85% field goal, which is what he has been over the course of his career, 85%. So it's, it's not looking great for him. He, he just signed a contract extension this offseason. Uh, two former undrafted punters for the Bills that would have been a lot cheaper are kicking around the NFL right now in, in Josh Potter and uh, Chase McLaughlin, who the Bills had in camp this year. Uh, now, he didn't have a great game on Monday Night Football, but we'll kind of ignore that for a second. But, I mean, there's just there's cheaper ways to get the job done, and Hushka isn't getting the job done. So I don't think they're going to do it right now, but – Maybe over the offseason you see them invest in a kicker for the long term or at least bring in some competition for Hushka. Thanks for the question on Twitter at Rumlings Q&A. Back to the phone line at 716-508-0405. Yeah, this is William from Fayetteville, North Carolina again. Y'all got to do something about this offense because the defense can't save you every damn week and, and it cannot be playing hard every week. The offense got to put up points. Run Devin Singletary. Y'all only gave him eight, nine carries? Come on, man. And y'all letting Allen drop back and pass? I don't know if it's the offensive coordinator or Josh Allen. Something got to give. But we some pissed off Bills Mafia up in here, all right? And tell the coaches that, all right? Thank you. Well, I certainly understand your frustration. Um, there's no question in there. So I'll just kind of riff off of what you said in your thing. I think eight carries for Devin Singletary is criminally underusing him, especially when he's averaging over six yards per carry. Uh, even against the Browns, uh, he was doing really well. Um, and like I said earlier in the podcast, if if he's a guy that makes people miss, he's dangerous against eight-man fronts because once you make one guy miss, there's no linebacker there or safety there to kind of clean up the mess. If you make that one guy that's in the hole miss, there's no guy to like sort of clean it up at the end. So I do think he was criminally underused against the Browns. Uh, Josh Allen shouldn't be throwing for 41 passes in a game. And if he does, he should be breaking 300 yards. So, uh, Brian Dable was asked what kind of identity he wants his offense to have. Um, He said, score points and move the ball. And then someone asked him a follow-up question, like, well, what do you mean? Like running the ball or passing the ball or doing something else? He's like, I want to score points. So obviously he didn't really want to talk about it this week. And you can understand why. I want to think that Dable and Allen are capable of, of running this offense, of of being successful of scoring points. They just have to be more consistent. Uh, there were just times when Allen didn't look like it on Sunday against the Browns, but he gets a Miami Dolphins team that is a little bit less stacked. Um, so we'll see what happens this week. Thanks for your statement, I guess, at our voicemail line. That's 
going to do it for this week's episode of Buffalo Rumblings Q&A. As always, you can call us at 716-508-0405. You can tweet us at Rumblings Q&A on Twitter, Facebook messages, Instagram messages, email us at buffalorumblings at sbnation.com. Leave comments in the comments section at buffalorumblings.com in our show notes, and we'll answer those there too. Lots of opinion pieces on the site this week. People have opinions. Lots of conversations going on in the comments section. Make sure you sign up for an account and wade in there. Uh, make sure you leave us a review on the iTunes store or wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps other people find us. And go Bills. They got the Dolphins this week. A little trip to South Beach with the snow in Buffalo.